We often hear the term ADHD can be a superpower. Well, some, it actually really bothers them when they hear that because they've struggled most of their lives with their ADHD. And some of us, we can see that light at the end of the tunnel where we have accidentally tapped into that superpower in one way, shape, or form. Well, in this episode, I am speaking with an expert who knows how to intentionally tap into that superpower and different ways of understanding ADHD through your character strengths, through your processing modalities, through the way you manage your emotions and go about your day. So get ready. This is a jam-packed episode. And I kid you not, my guest talks fast. He throws a whole bunch out there. So you may want to put this on a slower speed. You may want to pause it at times and take notes. Uh, Consider it actually essentially a little mini lesson from all of my episodes. This is one where you truly take out a pen and paper and listen to it a few times. I'd like to introduce you to David Gork. Master Certified ADHD Coach and Entrepreneur, the Founder and President of the ADD Coach Academy, the world's largest, most comprehensive accredited life and ADHD coach training program, where actually I took my training at, author and internationally recognized speaker, and he has inspired and empowered people all over the world with all ages to embrace their inner greatness. So in this episode, Get ready, because David is going to unpack a whole bunch for us. So let's get into it. Welcome to Proudly ADHD at work and in business. I am your host, Coach Kathy Rashidian, and I help professionals like you understand the science behind your unique brain so you can unlock that inner genius. Ready to transform your ADHD into your best asset? Keep listening. Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy I want to start this episode with a quote first, and then we're going to get into it. It's going to be a dynamic conversation. I can't wait for this conversation to unfold. So here's the quote. Here's how it goes. As human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us really is, that each of us has something that no one else has or ever will have, something inside that is unique to all time. It is our job to encourage each other to discover that uniqueness, and to provide ways of developing its expression by Fred Rogers. Mm. It's a pretty powerful statement. So to that, who better than my mentor, my coach, David Gwork, who is my guest today. And we're going to talk about the strengths of ADHD. Thank you, David, for joining us. Kathy, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you and be on your fantastic show. It's uh, everybody's talking about it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So let's get into it. Identifying the importance of focusing on strengths as a key filter in our ADHD coaching, in our ADHD life. What is that all about, sir? Well, you know, Kathy, I have to go back to your quote. You didn't think you were going to get away with I know, right? You like quote quotes. like that and me not say anything about it, did you? Because that quote speaks to my heart, but it also speaks to what we're talking about. You know, you think about every human being on this earth and then think about ADHD. Every human being on this earth, we have this amazing magical machine called the brain. And in that brain, we have trillions, trillions of options of ways we process information. We make sense of it for trillions, not billions, but trillions. And yet we live in a world where the school tells you, you can only do things two or three ways. 
And the business says you can only do it two or three ways. And if you don't do it the way we tell you, and you don't do it as well as we tell you based on our standards, you're considered substandard. And I think that's absolutely crazy. And when you talk about ADHD, we're talking about a, a brain, a unique brain that also has trillions of options, but their options are very different than the neurotypical. The way we do things and how we do things are very different. And the strengths that they possess are not the typical strengths per se of every other individual. So why is it so important? Because first of all, when you identify your strengths, you're identifying a, a natural innate talent and a way of creating excellence consistently in your life. But that's not enough because without the sustaining mechanism or the source that activates that strength, those strengths will die. And this is especially true in ADHD because ADHD is a deficit of interest. It's, it's a challenge of boredom, but interest isn't even enough. So what I'm here to tell you today is interest. You can be interested in something that you're good at. You can be interested and have a good strength, a natural recurring pattern of excellence. But if you can't identify the source that activates that strength, that ignites the heart in you to do it, that strength eventually dies. I'll give you a very quick example. I had an ADHD client who was a very successful businessman. And then later in life, as he was getting ready to retire, he asked me to coach his son, who was also in business. And his son was a very good tennis player. And his father was an outstanding tennis player. And his, his dream for his son was to become a professional tennis player because he was that good. His son was good at it, but he didn't love it. So the moment he graduated from college and he was on his own, he stopped playing tennis at the level that his father wanted to him. And his father called me up and was very upset and said, my son doesn't want to play tennis anymore. And he's so good, he should be a pro. And I said to his father, is the tennis about you or your son? Who's the tennis about? And in that moment, in that moment, he realized it was about him. And I said to him, look at you. Could you have been as successful as you were if the strengths that you possess, the things that you do naturally were not activated by some source of inspiration or motivation? So when we're talking about strengths, I used to think that it was interest was enough. I used to think importance was enough, but now I know it's got to be inspirational and it's going to come from the imagination. The imagination being about the future and inspiration being about the present because in the word inspiration is the word in spirit. And in spirit means that for me to manifest the things that I do naturally well and use them every day, I have to know who I am as a human being. And so there comes a new strength in. These are categories of strengths, which I think we would have talked about anyways, but we're just naturally leading into this. Most people look at one strength, like you have strengths finders from Gallup. Those, those, those identify strengths in the workplace. They don't identify strengths in all areas of your life. They're just the workplace. I'm talking about strengths and the sources of inspiration called character strengths. And we were way ahead of the curve on this because for years I was looking for what defines who that person is. And these character strengths came out when ADCA was already in bloom and we had had all these philosophies about strengths and performance. So Martin Seligman over at the University of Pennsylvania and came out with this wonderful free assessment. All your listeners can go to it. Go to viacharacter.org. And what that did 
is it was a very psychometrically valid and reliable tool that identifies 24 character strengths, attributes that all humans possess. All humans possess these, but your top five to seven are the ones that when you're asking the question, what makes you come alive? Well, one of those 24 is self-regulation. Self-regulation doesn't make you come alive. What makes you come alive are things like creativity, social intelligence, kindness, love, prudence, discernment, these kinds of things. And these are attributes that are critically important to the motivation of using a strength. So it became very clear to me after many years of coaching that I would have clients, especially with ADHD, that could identify an area of interest and strength. They would enter the door, but they couldn't sustain it. ADHD coaching is as much about sustaining as it is about identifying. So we could identify the natural patterns, but if um, you didn't understand what made them tick, then it wouldn't go forward. The most important strengths are the character strengths. So if you take a, dis I have to give you a distinction to think about strengths, that in order for us to use the strengths that are natural for us, we have to be in integrity with ourselves. And what I mean by integrity is integrating who you are with what you do. In the word integrity is the word integrate. Well, how do we find out who we are? These character strengths were attributes that when we ask what makes you come alive, they're merely words. You know, they're merely words that are defined. They're very clearly defined, but unless you can go back into your soul, into your memory and identify the specific experiences where you expressed who you are based on these attributes, they died. Words are not enough. Words are all we have to describe things, but it's memory and experience. Now, what's so interesting about this, people with ADHD have terrible memories, uh, very bad short-term memory, and especially what I found, memory where they have to go back and access their strengths. Because people with ADHD have been so busy focusing on what they can't do at the expense of what they could do that when you ask them, what is it that you do well, they drew a complete blank. I know this because I know this of myself. Even though I had success, I downgraded what was important to me and I never very rarely looked at who I was. So to find everything that I've done in my life as a coach, I felt I had to do on myself first because if I couldn't do it on myself, I was being a hypocrite because so I went back to this before you could define any strengths. I went back to this definition of integrity and what I had to find out, what is it that makes me tick? What is it that gets, it's not even what makes me come alive. It's what makes me get out of bed every day. That's the question I began to ask. And as I began to ask this question of other people, their character strengths, they started to identify their top five to seven strengths. And I would ask them, do these represent your authentic you? And oftentimes they weren't even aware of it. They would argue with me and their argument went nowhere because what would happen is we would go back and identify specific experiences where they, ex where they knew, they didn't believe, they knew that these character strengths showed up. A big one for people with ADHD, huge creativity. And for years, the anecdote of creativity and ADHD being associated was just that, it was anecdotal. And we, the Academy did research on what are the character strengths of adults with ADHD. And although it wasn't significant statistically, the, the trend of the highest strength that was moving forward was creativity. 
And because our sample was low, I knew, I knew it was true. I went out and based on what the research that Russ and I did, I went out and found out conclusive research for adults and kids with ADHD that said ADHD has the strength of creativity. Now, what does creativity mean? We could have a whole discussion about that. If you were to do a search on creativity, Kathy, you would find millions of definitions. So I knew that there had to be a specific definition. And in fact, we found a certain kind of creativity with criteria for ADHD. Creativity is the fifth category of strengths because creativity requires divergent thinking, the ability to think of many thoughts. And we know people with ADHD have many, many thoughts. And if they don't know another kind of strength, processing modalities, the way we learn, the way we process, nobody thinks of that one. We can't capture the ideas that rapidly come through our brain. So before I even got into this creativity thing, I'm gonna tell you the criteria and backtrack to show you how these strengths are crucial for people in business, for people, for all people and all, and all ages. So when I found out the criteria for creativity and I could clearly see it myself and my clients, the first was divergent thinking. In any moment, something can spark a spontaneous chord in our brain where we come up with many thoughts for an existing one thought. One thought bears many thoughts, divergent thinking. The second one was conceptual expansion. You take an existing idea and it comes out as a certain definition and you keep expanding it and growing it and making it bigger and bigger and different ideas mull from it. Before you know it, you have a plethora of ideas. Now, what do I do with it? The third criteria, you have to capture them. Capturing is a whole different thing. We're gonna come back to that. The third, which is the most important, is going beyond the knowledge constraints that we live by. In other words, whatever knowledge you have about a particular topic or subject, you have to overcome it and move beyond that. Most people can't. So if I took 10 people and two of them were ADHD, the people with ADHD that were creative would be able to, so I said, come up with a different kind of toy, okay? The 10 people that don't have ADHD would come up with different kinds of toys, but there would be a resemblance to the old toy. In other words, they know what a toy is and they're creating different versions of the toy. A person with ADHD might create an alien from another planet and call it a toy. In other words, it would not resemble anything that exists in our prior brain. It's a completely different concept. And this is one of the traits of an ADHD creative mind. We can have many thoughts about one thought, we can expand on it, and we can go beyond existing knowledge constraints. That's how I created the academy. There were existing coaching programs. Nobody thought to create one with ADHD. They never even thought about creating models, visual models with different alliteration and all these things that are memory techniques. And no one thought about the kinds of coaching that we do. And nobody thought about five categories of strengths. In other words, my brain always goes to, I don't stay limited by this. Yes, I use knowledge, but I use it to expand and go beyond the current thinking to open up new frontiers, which opened us up. Now, that's not just me. That's every person with ADHD. And I can tell you very famous entrepreneurs that have this thinking. Now, that's a strength. By the way, one of my character strengths is creativity. Now, isn't it interesting that creativity is a character strength? Because who I am 
here's what's so important. We start from character strengths. And if I look at my life, I can go to, and here's what's so amazing. If I take my top five character strengths, that's what everybody should do, which is creativity, uh, social intelligence, fairness, those, just those three. If I don't express at least two of those on a daily basis, yes. my ADHD is worse every day. Yeah. I have to express at least two of these of my seven, okay? The biggest ones being, the biggest one almost every day is creativity and social intelligence because I like being around people. I don't have to physically be with them, but I have to do what I'm doing with you right now, Kathy. I have to connect with them, talk with them, et cetera. So this was huge. When I found these, I realized that there were things that I had to do and I had to get let go of some stories. One of the biggest stories is a belief that I'm supposed to be expressing areas of weakness at the expense of my strengths because I'm the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I'm the head guy. I got to do the things I don't like to do. And that's what almost killed my business. That in fact, I had to hire people when I was ready that did the things that I was bad at and focus on the things I was good at to expand my business to grow it. Otherwise, it was dead in the water. This is a huge belief system that kills people with ADHD. The belief and the story that has been handed down to them from schools and the workplace, you have to focus on these things to be successful. We determine what that formula, you don't, and that's the killer. In fact, we have to develop what works best. So when I went against that grain, and I did in corporate America, but one of the reasons I left corporate America was because they were starting to tell me I had to do things that did not play to my strengths. And they weren't willing to give me an assistant after I was making them a lot of money to help me with the things that I didn't do well. So I knew I was moving out. And I started to see people in business and work and home all around me focusing on this negative, this negativity bias, which is pervasive in our brain, which moves us away from strengths. And so I said, and what I also found out that this negativity bias creates neurochemicals in the brain like cortisol, which creates more stress. Look at what's going around us, Kathy, in this world yeah. today, the pandemic. Anxiety and stress has never been more pervasive. Suicide's never been more pervasive. This is not just an ADHD thing. This is a human thing, but it's much more pervasive in ADHD. Mm -hmm. We have to be much more careful because they don't have the ability to pause and pay attention to their story. That's inhibition. So with coaching, we have to teach our people, what is the things that are gonna stop you to pause and pay attention? Well, the first thing is paying attention to who I am. When I know who I am, then I can begin and only then I can find the experience and the true knowings that identify where those character strengths showed up and the performance strengths will naturally follow. So if I'm creative, my verbal strengths always show up when I present. When I'm teaching, my emotional strengths show up, okay? These are all areas, the character strengths are areas of virtues. Emotionality, self-regulation is a huge issue. Here's what I want people with ADHD to know. If you don't express your strengths, your self-regulation will always be at the bottom, period. If you pay attention to areas of weakness and you at best, you'll be able to manage your brain. Let me give you an example. I challenge anybody on this call to go take the VIA and go find two or three character strengths 
get these, those experiences, break them down and find out and watch how your energy goes up thematically. And the only reason it can go up because you have to pause and pay attention to what activates your brain. That's called self-regulation. In other words, that which is the weakest in us automatically goes from 24 to number one the moment you access the essence of who you are and the source of your inspiration called character strengths. It's who I am. So and, I and David, I just sort of interject because God, you're so much wealth of wisdom here and, and I just want to keep going. But I, you, you're bringing up a point that I just want to anchor it in. Please. In that it's, it's one thing about these strengths, but what I'm hearing out of this is, you know, in those times when we want to tackle the mundane tasks and what I'm hearing weaved into your everything that you're saying here is when you address the fun stuff, the joyful stuff, then those mundane tasks are just eh, walk in the park because your joyful tank is full. And I remember in one of our coaching calls with me, you said, you know, Kathy, what was bringing you joy and do that first thing in the morning that has stayed with me forever, as opposed to eat the frog or however those, all those terms are, do the difficult task first. Can you talk about that? That yes. do the first thing that brings you joy. That's a great segue. Yes, I'm going to talk. That's great, Kathy, that you picked up on that. So a couple of things. Our brain is an engine. Any human being, it's our engine. It what gets us going in the morning. People that don't have ADHD do have the ability to start their day with things that don't bring them joy, that aren't exciting. And they can say, I'm going to do this mundane task, get it out of the way, and then do the things I really want to do. They have that ability. On the other hand, people with ADHD do not. In fact, a nine-year research study says that ADHD is a challenge of your motivational machinery. It's a deficit of interest. Mm -hmm. So if you start your day off in a mundane task, something that's boring, two things happen. It's very hard to get your prefrontal cortex going. It's very hard to access your executive function because when you try to get it going, you, you, you create more stress. And when you create more stress, like, for example, you can ask any person with ADHD, the moment they have to shift from something they like to do, something they don't like to do, stress sets in. Anxiety, shifting and transitions are really hard. Okay, but let's start, talk about even starting your day. If you wake up and the first thought of your day is, I got to do the thing that I don't want to do, so I get it out of the way, that is immediately going to do one, two, two things. It's going to shut down your brain. We've seen this in imaging studies. It's going to shut your brain down. And the harder you try to get your brain going, the more it's going to shut down. You become immobilized. It doesn't work. As opposed to, let me just, you know, think of ADHD as a momentum. Get the moment, get the engine going, sustain the engine and get it going, get it revved up. Because when you get it revved up, here's what happens you get all kinds of positive neurochemicals going and oxytocin, you know, endorphins, all this stuff, but that only stays in your body for about six hours. Cortisol, stress hormones stay in your body for 24 hours. So think about that. I'm starting my day off in a boring area that creates more stress that puts negative neurochemicals into my brain for 24 hours. Is it any wonder that people with ADHD can't get stuff done? Is it any wonder that they procrastinate for the whole day? So what you're talking about, Kathy, is fundamental, is foundational to ADHD coaching. 
it's fundamental to quality of life. Why wouldn't I start my day with the things I love? The key is to put boundaries around it. You can't spend your whole day mm -hmm. doing things you love because a person with ADHD has a hard time putting the brakes on. Yeah. So yeah. if we put boundaries around it, you give them amount of time that allows them to begin to transition out of that into something else. That's the key. You can't go from doing something you love and your wife comes down and say, honey, we got five minutes to get ready for the party because you're in for World War III. <laughs> yeah. It's just the way it's going to be. So what you're talking about is not just about paying attention to strengths. It's about paying attention to things that activate our brain every day and keep the engine running as opposed to having no fuel in the tank and the, the engine dying. That's, that's what, and I would, I would even say people that don't have ADHD will do much better. They have the ability. To start. Yeah. And, and, and what I see is, you know, when I look at the previous pre ADHD, knowing about my ADHD, there was all these self-help books that I would pick up and read. And I'm like, why can't I implement these things? Because they were not written for a neurodiverse kind of brain. They're written for like, you know, I don't know the, the other kind of brain that just does follow instructions. And for us, it, it takes a lot of creativity. I remember I was in a conference. Dr. Wayne Dyer was talking about his son. Love him. Love yeah, Wayne. Yeah. May I'm he sorry, rest he passed in peace. Away. Yes. He passed away a few years. But Love one of the, the things he said at that time, I, I, I didn't know about it, my ADHD. So I didn't make, I was like, okay, I get it. And then when I met you and, and went through training, I was like, oh, I get it. So what he was saying was the story about his son who wouldn't wake up in the morning. He was just always like, you know, dragging his feet, had a hard time waking up. And then I think they went to Hawaii or moved to Hawaii. And then his yeah. son was up before the sunrise surfing in the ocean. And he's like, what happened? And I look at it now and go, oh, there's the motivation. It's that he wanted to be in the ocean, that's surfing. Yeah. So there was really yeah. tangible motivation for him to get up yeah. in the morning. Yeah. So that's yeah. just so exactly. powerful. It, so it powerful. Now take what we're talking, let's add an element that nobody talks about, and that's processing modalities. And some people mistaken that as learning styles. It's bigger than learning. Learning styles in the, is in the academic world, how I can learn to read better, how I can do my math better. When we're talking about processing modalities, we're talking about our ability to pay to pause and pay attention to what we're paying attention to sustain focus on it long enough so that we can link it in our brain and comprehend it. Now that sounds like a very easy thing, but it's not because people tend to want to figure nobody teaches us how we learn yeah. how to stay in a conversation or get something complete. And they try all these different strategies for how to learn and it doesn't work. And what they don't do is they come for, so I'll give you a perfect example. In schools or in the workplace, if they want you to improve in an area of weakness and make it stronger, they go to the area of the weakness and they'll say, well, how can we make this area of weakness better for you, easier mm -hmm. for you? And at best, at best, you'll never get great at it. You might get adequate, but it doesn't work because why? You're going from an area of weakness. That's not going to activate your brain. So it's so simple that I saw this happen to my clients. I would ask my clients, Tell me something that you're able to pay attention to that you do. And it became a, something as simple as a movie. Yeah. Tell me about that movie. What was it about the movie? Well, I like, I liked the visuals. Oh, it's visual. Oh, and I like the music behind the visuals. It kept me going. And I like the auditory and I liked it, all these things. 
And from that, we said, oh, and when I, when I, when I get really bored, I really don't get bored in movies. They keep me going. But I love looking at the, the transitions of the pictures and hearing it, hearing it. And I'm able to, between those two modalities, I'm able to understand it. Well, most things that we do in life, we only use one modality. We sit, we listen, we watch, we don't interject. And in fact, there are many activities we do that encompass five to eight modalities. We look at eight modalities. Emotion. Can an emotion get you paying attention? You're damn right. It can. Can anger get you going? You're damn right. Can kinesthetic movement? Oh, yes. If I'm in a lecture and I'm bored, if they don't let me move around, they're in trouble. But I can't, if I'm in a board meeting, I can't just get up and move around. So I carry a, a ball with me, a little ball in my hand, and I squeeze it. That's kinesthetic. Conceptual, it's related to creative. If people are creative, they got to have the ability to think of big ideas and they have to ask questions. God forbid somebody should ask too many questions of which I was kicked out of every class in school and I was limited to the amount of questions I was allowed to ask in high school. Yeah, wasn't a bad thing. Wasn't a bad thing actually. So these are things, tactile, touch. So think about this, I'll give you a very quick example. I won't talk about my clients because I try to keep their stuff confidential, but I will tell you that a lot of the things that I experienced, they did. And of course I could give you patterns, but one of the biggest patterns I see is clients of mine who are verbal processors. They have a lot of ideas and they have to express them out loud. Now this is different. Verbal processes are not just people that have to talk out loud. Everybody needs to talk out loud. Verbal processes are people who need to take the ideas in their head and speak them out loud so somebody can mirror them back to them mm -hmm. because their verbal processors are auditory. Yes. They have to hear it. So think about all the people that you know, and these are very many of them, majority of them ADHD, that have all these great ideas in their head that are stuck in the prison cell of their mind with no ability to get out because they have no coach. They don't even have a wife or a friend mm -hmm. that they can mirror for. In my life, I have four or five different systems set up of people I know that when I have a great idea, I can call them up and in 10 minutes, they tell what they're hearing and I get it. Because that ability to take what's out of my brain and articulate it without putting it on a screen was not possible until voice activated software came out. Mm -hmm. When voice activated software came out, I was able to write my first book, Permission to Proceed. In college, without voice activated software, it would take me two days to write a five page paper if I was lucky, because I couldn't get the idea. But once I know that I feel the ideas in my head, I go to voice active software and there may be 30 ideas on a screen. I can see patterns. I can edit them. I can take them out. This is huge. A yeah. person who's bored needs to use their kinesthetic ability to move around. In the workplace environment, I cannot tell you how many people I have coached that were forbidden from getting out of their seats and moving around because it was distracting, who had great ideas, who couldn't go to another room and verbalize them, which could have meant millions of dollars for the company. Stupid, stupid, stupid. And that's what they do. So companies have to realize if you've got a person in a position that's not doing well, they could have ADHD and many people with ADHD are afraid to do that in the corporate environment mm -hmm, absolutely. because they'll be stigmatized. Yeah. There are some companies like 3M company, good friend of mine that trained with us. 
has disabilities office in, in 3M and they're able to go and express their ADHD to this person, but they're afraid, they're scared, mm-hmm. even with that. So we have to stop this ignorance in the schools too. A kid is afraid of it. Even the schools know it because there's stigma attached. That's a disservice because what it does, there is a movement, a neurodiverse movement out from Stanford. A bunch of people are getting together to try to bring what they know about all these neurodiverse, you know, neurodiversity is bigger than ADHD, but my belief is ADHD is the foundation for all the other co-occurring conditions. I believe when you know what we do, we can do those other things. It's not reverse. It's mm-hmm. not reverse. And I know this because I've worked with these people, many of them with bipolar and, and anxiety disorders and all these things, OCD. And what we find is this, it all goes back to the same thing. When they know who they are, when they know what ignites their heart in line with their head, when they understand how to use their natural processing modalities, then and only then will their executive function work. What is executive function? I'll give you the quickest, simplest discussion. Executive function, everybody has it. It's the management function of the brain. It's the ability to organize, prioritize, make decisions. And Tom Brown, my good friend over, used to be at Yale, is now at University of Southern California. He is one of the fathers of executive function. He and Russell Barkley. And Tom Brown gives a great metaphor years ago, and I still use this metaphor. He says, executive function is like having a conductor in a symphony. So people with ADHD may play one instrument really well. I might play the violin very well, or the trumpet or the trombone very well, or the violin. But when I have to bring all the instruments together to get them to create a symphony, my conductor is not available. My inner conductor. So I can play the individual instruments really well, but I can't bring all the instruments together to make it an orchestra. Same is true of, for example, decision-making. I may be able to hyper-focus on something I'm really interested in, but when I have to pause and pay attention and discern, that is, make a decision, how's this serving me? Because I don't have the executive function of emotional intelligence called emotional regulation, which is crucial, and I can't identify what's getting in my way because I don't have the ability to manage that function, that executive function in my brain, I'm immobilized, I'm stuck, I'm hijacked by my emotions. So for people with ADHD, this is a huge thing. Now, here's what we find. When we're doing those four things, and by the way, Tom Brown has research to prove this, what I'm about to tell you. He says that in areas that we're very interested in, with his clients in his clinical practice, he has consistently shown that people who are doing what they're interested in, he didn't talk about love or passion. He's a psychologist. He talks about liking, okay? We take it a step further in coaching. We get to the spirit. But at any rate, he says when they're highly interested, he doesn't see any impairment in executive function ability. This is called situational variability. The ability to function in different situations. ADHD is situational. So with people with ADHD, if I put them in the right situation with the right strengths, with the right sources, not only will they show success, they will excel. The problem is put them into another situation and they will do extremely poor. It's, it's, it's a paradox between excellence and poor. Excellent, there's no in between. But if you know that you're excellent in something, consistently, why wouldn't you start there? 
And this is the challenge. So all my clients, when they go to these five areas of strength, I'm adding creativity to it, character strengths, who I am and alignment with what they do. And what I do is social intelligence. I like to be with people. I'm creative. And it's, oh my God, if it's not fair, I can be in a line and a mother's mistreating a kid. And I will tell that mother, yeah, excuse me, you're invading my public space. Will you please not do that to your child? Will you do it home as your business? But I can't stand, and I've done it. Mm-hmm. Because my fairness, and I do it compassionately, and I do it creatively in a socially intelligent way. There's my character strengths. But I have to process it with my processing modalities. I'm walking around as she's doing this because it's aggravating to control my emotion. I can't remain stationary. And the person behind me saying, stirs, can you sit still? You're bumping into me. I'm so sorry. I don't get upset. But then he comes over and apologizes to me after I nicely say to this woman what he was doing to the child. He said, sir, I apologize for saying what I do, but thank you so much for doing what I was afraid to do. Mm-hmm. People with ADHD are very courageous. Yes. And they're in the right situation. We're not afraid. That's why we take risks. And right? and to that point, David, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're and not interrupt. You're on fire. <laughs> you'll never, so, if you don't get me now, you won't get me. I know. I'm like, oh my God. The, the, the thing you just said, but you've learned to manage that emotion, right? You have found your way. You found your groove with years of doing what you're doing to tame it because I know, and especially in the workplace, when we see something that's not within our values, that when we are, because we're so much of integrity, so much of transparency, that's that's really evident in all 80 years. I remember my corporate days, if something didn't jive, I'd be that bull in a China shop. And now I've learned to tame that bull, yes. to really slow it down. But that was by working with you, by learning more. And that's the knowledge transfer I, that I do with my clients. But that comes from working with a coach that can really yes. sharpen your strengths because sometimes our strengths can be to our detriment too, I find, is we can yes, overdo it. Right? Overdo it. Yes, we can hyper-focus on it at the expense of balance in our yeah. lives. Like I had to work on that myself because I, as an entrepreneur, I started hyper-focusing on work because it was like a drug at yeah. the expense of my wife and kids. But my wife, thank God, She's not ADHD and that's a blessing because she reeled me in and said, honey, and she was great about it. She know, cause we can also be hypersensitive. Yes. Hypersensitivity can be a strength and it can be a detriment. Okay. But to your point, Kathy, one of the things that's so important is we're taught how to learn how to manage negative emotion, mm-hmm. not how to taught how to identify and access positive emotion. And that is so critical because when you're angry, you have to use discernment. You have to pause. And if you don't breathe and use emotional intelligence, it can send you off. You can get fired for things like, you're not yeah. fired most of the time for being late, but you are fired for getting angry and losing your, you know, big stick of dynamite on a short fuse. Absolutely. And when you're moving up the corporate level, level to my professionals listening to this, there is a point where you really got to tame that beast. You know, that I remember towards the end of my corporate interruption was, oh my God, I would constantly interrupt in meetings and it was really embarrassing and I didn't know why I was doing it. But now I know why. It was entrepreneurs, business partners, you know, taming it so that because you do need to, as you're scaling your business, learn how to work with others so that you bring in partnerships so that you're not doing it. Like you and your academy, 
you know, there's a point where you're like learning how to work with others so that you can grow this and make the impact that you're doing. So all of that is to say, work with your strengths, people, understand it, know that you have a negativity bias brain that's kind of naturally trained to look for danger. But then here's us going, there's a different way to do that. So one thing, there's one model that I wanted, you've mentioned it in between, but let's name it. The machine mind mission, just to quickly kind of tie this conversation, if anything, with that machine mind mission. I'd like you to summarize that for us, please. Yeah. So uh, machine mind and mission model is a wonderful metaphor to think of our brain as this miraculous machine that processes thoughts and emotions. Everything that starts in that machine ends up being produced in neurochemicals, which allow us to function. So everything that machine takes in, whether it's a thought or an emotion, cre is created in neurochemicals that go into the machine and eventually into the rest of our being. But the mind is aligned with that machine and sometimes one affects the other. Sometimes the machine can create electro neurochemicals, electricity neurochemicals that can move us away from the current thought we're having. And sometimes it's the reverse. And especially with people with ADHD, my belief is that the most dominant thoughts in the mind, which are generally of a negative, pervasive, immobilizing nature, are dominant. And the way the, the machine works is we have this part in the machine called the gatekeeper, the reticular activating system. And it doesn't interpret any of the thoughts they're going through. It only lets the strongest electrical signal through. So if your most dominant thought is I can't, I won't, I never could, I never will. And that's what's pervading your, your mind. That creates an electrical, electrical charge of negativity, which goes through the gate because it doesn't interpret it. And it creates cortisol, stress, adrenaline, fight or flight, and goes right into the emotional part of the machine called the limbic system. So the thinking part of the brain, the rational part of the brain, if you don't put the brakes on, that emotional part takes over and you never get to your mission because the mission is that who part. The mission is your message of meaning that identifies who and what you are. Generally, that's the place we want to start with. Most people don't. They start with whatever hits their machine and whatever hits their mind. Very few of them sit back and say, what's the mission I want to focus on? So when I wake up tomorrow, my machine and mind are in integrity. They're in mm -hmm. harmony. What we have is millions and billions of people walking this earth whose machine and mind are not in harmony with their mission. They don't know what their mission is. They don't know who they are and what makes them tick. So my belief is in my knowing, my experience in coaching is when we can get people to move out of attachment, you talked about this, Kathy, move out of attachment to outcome, having to have that result. And just instead of being, being a human doing, being a human being with a purpose, you know, passion is no good without intention. Interest is no good without intention. Machine mind and the mission says, my mission is about paying attention to an intention of integrity. That when I look at this, this defines who I am. And when I know who I am, then and only then, when I know who I am, my mind will focus on that and it will allow my machine to work in harmony to reach, to reach that picture. It's the most important picture we can create. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Amazing.
like I said, David, I could go on forever, but I'm also cautious of the attention span of this audience. <laughs> and you just laid out a whole bunch of stuff on here that it's like, huh, do I break this down into a few segments because there's so much goodness in this? So thank you, sir, for giving us your time and your attention and your wealth of knowledge. To my listeners, I'm going to put a whole bunch of links in the show notes as to the Via Character Strengths, how to David's Academy and the awesome courses that they have on learning about your ADHD. That's what I did. And until next time, my friends, keep on shining. This episode was brought to you by my very first online lesson called Six Factors That Impact Your Productivity. I'm excited to be launching this and sharing this with you. So if you are struggling with productivity in your tasks and your day-to-day managing of the tasks, I encourage you to go into the show notes and click on the link on the mini course. It's about 20 minutes long where you get to learn the six factors that have a direct influence in the way you show up at work and the way you go about your tasks. It's about 20 minutes long. It comes with a worksheet and you can listen along and work along with it. And it's one of those tools that is really powerful, simple, but yet powerful and practical and put it into use right away. So head over to the show notes and get access to the free mini lesson from my website. See you there.